This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Advantages Digital Learning Solutions, where learning is reimagined. Hello, and welcome to Learning Reimagined. I'm Allison, and with me is Sandy. Sandy, how are you doing today? Hi, Allison. I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really looking forward to our guest today. It's Dr. Anthony Collados, and he is a faculty member at uh, Prepperdine, but he's done so much incredible research and his background from UCLA and urban education and really helping future teachers get prepared for the 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 passion and the greatness of teaching. So it's it's going to be quite insightful. I'm really interested to talk to him and see how how do you go about teaching teachers in the age of a pandemic over Zoom. That's going to be a fun one. I'm I'm really curious what kind of things he could do to motivate, you know, teacher candidates, you know, via Zoom. That's interesting. And to teach, he might be one of the first people that has to teach teachers in in, in a teacher, teacher ed program via Zoom and how to incorporate technology because now it's become a fundamental component of education is to be able to bring in technology into your classroom just in case. They get shut down every other day like it's been happening. So this is going to be fascinating. It's a fun one. I'm looking forward it to our conversation with Tony. Good afternoon and welcome to Learning Reimagined. I am Allison Dampier and with me is Sandy Gamba, who will introduce our fabulous guest today. I am so honored and really excited to welcome you today, Dr. Anthony Collados. I know you as Tony, and I'm just so grateful for you to be able to have some time for us and share some of your knowledge and some of your expertise. Um, I would love to have you introduce yourself so that you can share with our audience what you do and all the wonderful things that you've found, and then we can continue on. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm Dr. Anthony Collados. I'm a Professor of Education at Pepperdine University in the Graduate School of Education and Psychology. Uh, My main role, most of my time is spent working with teacher candidates, working on their, um, earning their credential. Um, I tend to teach the classes that are focused primarily around kind of their master's uh, research um, at foundations. Also, we have a capstone project that usually involves research. Uh, The research the past few years actually has, or two years, has been tied to a larger research project I have uh, called Teaching in the Age of COVID. Uh, And that is really trying to explore and understand um, the ways in which the pandemic has impacted K-12 education, specifically from the the lens of the student teachers or the teacher candidates, but also through their interviews with um, stakeholders, families, parents, teachers, educators, so that's been very exciting. Uh, we're actually going to be presenting at uh, the AERA in San Diego in, in a few months on that research. I also am the coordinator of the graduate pathway in that program. So I work a lot with uh, our team trying to navigate the waters. You can't imagine, at least in the state <laughs> of California, how things have shifted um, suddenly around things from testing requirements to all the different challenges of vaccinate and you name it, the California Teaching Credential Commission has been um, doing the best they can. And we as, uh, you know, teacher ed programs have been trying to to keep up with them. I also- It it changes like day by day too. It just, there's so much that 
like the rules of last week are different Mm -hmm. this week. And I can't imagine training these poor young teachers to come into the world where they don't even last week was different than next week. And yeah, it's been, it's been exciting. Uh, It's been incredibly challenging. We've had too much, like all teachers have had to be very flexible, Absolutely. Uh, but we, we actually graduated our first cohort in December that I never met face to face. So actually uh, they were from their start to finish were online. Wow. And um, so that was, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're all adjusting, um, but also powerful. We've also, some of our teachers have uh, really, some of our young novice teachers have really come into uh, K-12 learning environments where they may not be the expert on the curriculum or the pedagogy, but they actually might be the expert on the technology. So they've actually been right. teaching uh, their quote unquote mentor teachers mm-hmm. and or other colleagues. Um, so that's been, oh, that's, that's been interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. And I actually think it's made them having to learn how to teach online has uh, helped slash forced our candidates and teachers in general to be very organized, mm-hmm. right. To be organized in ways where, if I have a module or I'm planning ahead, we've always had lesson plans, mm-hmm. uh, but there might be times in which we didn't have to be as organized <laughs> in ahead. Right. Um, and reliant day. on past years and yes. that sort of thing. But with, um, with online, it's, it's different. It, mm-hmm. It's a different mentality and a different focus. Um, and, and our, I think our, our more experienced teachers have been really forced to mm-hmm. embrace it. I remember um, a few years, gosh, about eight years ago, my daughter had a teacher who was extremely um, forward thinking in technology and whatnot. And the veteran teachers at the school site were really intimidated by her. Mm-hmm. And she ended up having to leave after a couple of years because they were so anti-change mm-hmm. that um, she went somewhere. She actually moved to California to get a start there because California seems to be more forward thinking with tech. And um, with with the pandemic, those teachers were forced. You know, you mm-hmm. have to get on board with online at, at this day and age now. Yeah, it is. I mean, the pandemic has helped propel us forward in terms of our technology and maybe some mm-hmm. of our our teaching and learning in ways that, frankly, it just would not have happened without it. So while it's unfortunate that this was the catalyst, you know, there are some things that. Um, you know, I, I call them silver linings. There are some things that have really benefited education and, and that being one, our ability to use technology, use it proficiently. Um, I have a feeling, although I hope not, that we are at times are going to have to be pivoting to go online very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happening right now, right? Yeah. The, the university level and some of the K-12 um, are not actually meeting face-to-face. I'm not sure it'd be interesting to hear what's going on in Clark County or Nevada, but I know here in the greater Los Angeles, Southern California area, there are literally districts that's deferred and are online for the first couple of weeks. There's others that are face-to-face. There's a whole slew of um, degrees of testing or not testing students and faculty. I know LAUSD, Los Angeles Unified School District, I think they required everyone um, adults and children to be tested before returning. I think the rate I saw was a 10% positivity rate of students, which, excuse me, of students and staff, which in somewhere like LAUSD is literally, you know, 
60,000 people or so not surprising, but just fascinating to see how it's playing out. Um, if I could just quickly share a couple other roles that I have at uh, both Pepperdine and my work. I also teach an advocacy class in our, we have a social entrepreneurship program. Um, that's Ooh. very exciting and fun. I, I use education as kind of my, my palette or my medium, but it's, uh, it's really fun and fascinating to work with a group of people who um, want to do good and do well. And they have, you know, social issues that they're very passionate about and, and learning how we can advocate for them. And then I also teach the grants writing course in the doctoral program. In addition to that, I also am the director of the Pat Lucas Center for Teacher Preparation. That is a center that we uh, was established through the generosity of the Pat Lucas family uh, to help both novice teachers and our recent alums uh, to build sustainability and support. And then I have multiple um, research projects happening as well. So a lot of work. Yes. Well, and you also <laughs> served as the president of the Palos Verdes School Board. So yeah, I, I just want to make sure. Sure, it's, it's been a few years now, um, but for about nine years, yeah. I was a governing board member of the Palos Verdes Peninsula Unified School District. And for several of those years, I was fortunate to be the, the president, um, which was fascinating because a lot of my work and research works with Title I schools, urban schools. Mm. Um, Palos Verdes happens to be a very, uh, we're very blessed and fortunate to have, you know, a lot of resources, still have challenges, but kind of going through those years of um, kind of the economic downturn around 2009, 2010, and the challenges that schools were facing across the country. And then going through the whole adoption of Common Core um, was fascinating <laughs> as well. Right. Uh, and now we've, you know, I, I retired right before kind of the, the pandemic happened. But it is, um, I, I believe, strongly in building relationships and partnerships between kind of the university, the schools themselves, and the, the families in the community. A lot of my research is tied around that kind of triumphant or intersection. Mm -hmm. And what a great opportunity to see so much. As I read a lot of what you've done with your research and the pathways and opening up those resources and access for students, I, I just, that's so wonderful to be able to implement so much of what you've been able to research. And now adding the, the piece of technology, because mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we help these students right. jump into this world of, of unknown and, and having to pivot? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm sorry, it's been a challenge, right? Because we've had to pivot. We've learned some things really powerful about the use of technology and space and community and kind of the dynamics, um, especially at the well, at all levels. But I know I've talked to many families and K-12 teachers that have said uh, they have students that literally can't sit still or sit on the screen and it's distracting and we've had to really think about ways that we can engage students uh in this in this medium in this dynamic and then we have other students that have um really excelled and come out of their shell and maybe ones that weren't as comfortable in a face-to-face -face environment are now leading conversations and leading activities and really comfortable in an online um, community. So what do we do with that? How do we move forward in a way that um, learns from it rather than just goes back to what we were, I don't think we can go back. To, we can try. Right. I've, I've gotten take home 
take home papers that I'm supposed to sign <laughs> right. for my own children that I keep laughing, thinking, wow, we weren't doing that for a year. And now we're back to the flyer. Mm -hmm. at the it's um, really, that's an interesting mm -hmm. observation. Just, I think there's such a comfort level to the way we used to do things and mm -hmm. online really pushed people. But now that we have that freedom to go back, they're sure. reverting. And I, I, and you're right. That's a really, I think there needs to be so much more integration with technology take what we've learned over the past two years now and mesh it with what we mm -hmm. were doing before and just take the best parts of everything i really think that this could be a silver line in, in mm -hmm. education to make the best situation possible you know yeah it's the part of the problem is we haven't had a chance to breathe right meaning that a moment to to kind of actually even figure out what's really working and what's not working right. because of the the sudden shifts. Um, and unfortunately, there were schools and communities that were able to pivot easier than others because of either access to technology, access to Wi-Fi, familiarity, kind of a technological literacy with, you know, even maneuvering. Maybe they were already getting their homework online on a system like Aries or um Dojo, like there's different, you know, learning management systems or platforms that they were already using. Mm -hmm. And then there were others that literally um, didn't. I have done some work. I did a project probably now five or six years ago around health literacy, mm -hmm. where I worked with a lot of uh, families, 325 families um, in a Title I school district, urban schools. And one of the things we learned that while not everybody had a computer, and not everybody was necessarily using email. Everyone had a smartphone. Mm -hmm. um, and that was fascinating to kind of see. So I, I think one of the real big challenges was here, a district like LAUSD or Los Angeles Unified School District was able to, all districts, but especially them, if you think about, they're one of the largest employers in the, in the nation um, across any industry, not just schools. Um, you know, these Google Chromebooks, you know, doing everything they humanly could, as well as other districts to get uh, technology in the hands of folks. But that didn't solve Wi-Fi or connectivity issues. Right. It didn't solve space issues. I mean, what do you do when you have three or four children that are all supposed to be online, but yet you don't even have the physical space within your room? Like literally they might be able to get on, but they're literally all sharing the same table. Mm -hmm. supposed to be having, you know, three synchronous classes at the same time, oftentimes one of the children would just not go on or sacrifice. So there's things that really work that we can learn from. And there's other inequities that um, I think we're going to be unfortunately discovering have long-term lasting effects mm -hmm. on the academic side, as well as kind of the social emotional wellness side. As well. I, I was going to ask you about the socio-emotional um, mm -hmm. segment of your, your learning to teach with COVID, mm -hmm. do you address the social emotional? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so one of the, there's, it's shifted. It's kind of like a giant evolving action research project over the last year and a half, two years now, but it, um, there is a mental health and wellness group that's been specifically looking at this, not only at the mental health and wellness of students but also of teachers and kind of the, the, the level of, of just i'll call it tiredness but yeah, um yeah. You know, anxiety at different points going back to we are seeing this kind of play out i think right now with some of the you're hearing about chicago and like the teachers union and you know whether they went back on online and 
and across my experiences across the state of California, at least that everyone's handling things a little bit differently in terms of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, but I do get the sense that everybody wants to be back. You know, everybody wants to be back in school. I think we know um, the U.S. Surgeon General just issued a report, I think, right before Christmas that basically said, you know, the mental health and wellness of students, this is, you know, it had a devastating effect. And, you know, we thought it, but now we have some data that, uh, you know, it can back that up. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's a challenge. And I, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going away. Um, yeah. And, and as a parent, I, mm-hmm. I am a parent of two kids and now they're in college and I have one that had a two in, in Chicago, mm-hmm. two week delay in starting and mm-hmm. he's anxious to be back face to face. There's mm-hmm. so much to be said for that interaction that gets missed mm-hmm. having to be online. And, um, and I know you earlier we were talking about districts and I live in Clark County, which is the fifth largest school district mm-hmm. in the nation. And just impromptu, we had to do a, a pause, they called mm-hmm. it. And it hit all the media saying, oh, we don't have enough bus drivers mm-hmm. to pick up these children. Right. We don't have enough teachers to, to be able to staff our mm-hmm. buildings. The, <laughs> the, the admins are having to be pulled from their offices and superintendents to try to teach kindergarten or eighth grade or whatever is needed. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a, a struggle. So they did a pause and I don't know where we go from there. And parents, right. uh, it's hard when you're working full time. Mm-hmm. And so just the access and, and the ramifications, it's really a lot to process. I, I yep. think a lot of kids really, my own children really struggle with the unknown. And for the past two years, it's been, this has been planned. And then two days beforehand, well, it's now been canceled. Mm-hmm. And then okay, you're going to school. Now we're going on a pause. You know, it, it's that constant fear of of disappointment and so like my oldest daughter she was a senior when the shutdown happened she was a mm-hmm. senior in high school and we were trying to make some plans and she goes why it's going to get canceled mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. and it was just so heartbreaking to see that 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 disappointment and that like the cancellations of things became second nature to them like they just mm-hmm. expect it um and so i i know I mean, my daughter, she's fine and she's well adjusted, but I do, I do worry about the long-term effects of that Mm -hmm. because it hasn't gone away. I mean, it's now two years going. And just like Sandy said, her school district, they just shut down. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a pause for two weeks or whatever it happens to be. I'm up in Northern Nevada, Washoe County School District. And um, we have, it's it's not the district. It's just like hit or miss with schools itself. Mm -hmm. This school just went, you know, they announced Wednesday at 3 p.m. You're not coming back to school till next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And these poor kids are like, wait, what? <laughs> and so it's, I, I think in terms of silver linings, we're learning mm-hmm. how to be much more flexible. Um, but on the negative side, you know, we're, we're becoming accustomed to disappointment, which is just heartbreaking. <laughs> so I'm just curious as teachers, how, I mean, and you're at the front lines, you're teaching this future generation of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, your job is so important to keep them motivated and encouraged. And yeah, this is a really great profession to get involved in. Mm-hmm. Now, how well, do you keep that going? Yes, it's, 
well, one, I'm impressed at the number of um, new candidates that are choosing to enter into the field at this time. So imagine, you know, I think I've mentioned earlier that we had a group for the first time ever that was completely online, had never actually, I'd never met them face to face and a large percentage of their program might have been teaching online. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have, um, I think we have about 10 candidates this over the this fall. And I just have a new group that started a couple of weeks ago that are all kind of second, third career folks mm -hmm. that through the pandemic, I think realized that they weren't necessarily feeling the kind of, um, I don't know if happiness is the word. Yeah, fulfillment <laughs> from their prior jobs. Uh, many of them very successful in the entertainment industry. Others that were in theater or the arts or music or musicians or that got shut down because nobody was oh. touring. Um, others in some of the sports arenas that decided that um, maybe this isn't my calling. This isn't my vocation. And I've always thought or wanted to be a teacher. Um, also several folks, I'm sorry. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Several folks also that uh, this is their time. They raised their children, their family, and they've always wanted to. So I think there's a lot of ways in which the pandemic is um, influencing and inspiring a new generation of teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, it also is much like um, Sandy mentioned, right? I, people keep asking me, do you think we're going to shut down again? And I said, I don't think anybody wants to shut down. But much like the airlines are having to cancel flights right now, and not because yeah. Yeah. the passengers are sick, because the actual you know workers. Yeah, right. So Palo Alto, which is the highest performing school district in the state of California, in the backyard of Stanford, literally sharing land with Stanford University. Uh, their superintendent is a good friend, Don Austin. He put out a call before I think it was the first week of school and said we can't function like this. We literally cannot run our schools. And I think they had something like seven, 800 volunteers uh, show up and say, I'm willing to do whatever oh. you need, um, <laughs> which we couldn't have even done right a year wow. ago, you know, with the vaccine or masks. And so if the highest performing school district in the state of California, and he said, it's not about money. It's, this isn't a problem we can just throw money at. This is a, human capacity, human capital issue. Right. Um, that's also happening with teachers. I have uh, districts, Friday, I got a call from two different folks. Um, one in a very high performing, uh, highly resourced, one of the most famous zip codes in the state of California saying, I need a teacher. Um, and then I had another who actually is a, a good friend and administrator in LAUSD who he literally is a mentor of principals and teachers, but has been teaching a third grade classroom for the last month wow. because nobody's there. So much like Sandy saying that there's all sorts of folks. And he mentioned the fact that these young folks, these students, I think they're fifth graders. Um, they haven't had a consistent teacher in months because mm -hmm. of, um, and this one happened to actually deal with the, the vaccine mandates, which is a whole nother, oh, that's a whole nother variable yeah. that's impacting um, how we're able to function or not. So you have districts in California, in Southern California, even just within LA, 
Some, like LAUSD, have literally said, if you're not vaccinated, you're not going to be in a classroom and you may not have a job. Others have said you need to get vaccinated by this date or you might be put on leave. Others have said we don't care. You're just going to be tested twice a week. So there's this huge variety of um, situational policies and practices going on. And all of this affects, you know, schools ability to function. Um, so it is, there's lots of things far beyond just the curriculum that are impacting uh, right. our ability to be successful. Yeah, and you and old teachers are having to navigate this. Right. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably the most challenging time. Well, obviously in the world, but in, in the world of education specifically, because it is just so, it's not uniform whatsoever. Um, and it changes so quickly. You know, these, it, it's just, it's a very, very interesting time. I would love to sit in your teaching with COVID. I, I would love to get involved in that and hear <laughs> what your, what, what, what great ideas there are out there. Did you see that in San Diego, Tony? Uh, there's an AERA, the American Educational Research Association annual meeting. This year will be in San Diego. It's the world's largest uh, educational research conference. Literally, mm. in, in past years, pre-COVID, you'd have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people from all over the country and the world showing up. All, you know, across a variety of um, any research topic you can imagine. Sure. So it happens to be there. I'm still waiting to see. They said they had an option on whether you could come face-to-face -face or online. We elected to do... I'm going to be uh, presenting with some of my colleagues and then some of our former students. We elected to be face-to-face -face, uh, back when we made this decision in October, November, and waiting to see if they still try to do so. I'm sure they are too, waiting to figure it out. But right. it is, once again, just reflective of, of the challenges. Uh, it is... It is ever shifting. Um, I tell our teacher candidates they need to be very flexible. Yeah. Um, we are seeing, this is also interesting. I, I don't have any quantitative data, but I know from the districts that I partner with, I think almost every one of them has created, if they didn't have it already, uh, an office for social emotional wellness mm -hmm. and, and an administrator that's in charge of that specifically. That's great. Um, some, some districts are literally... Uh, having regular professional development and implementing kind of SEL, kind of literally social emotional wellness type lessons mm -hmm. across the school, um, and others haven't. So it is uh, it's another area we're trying to figure out um, how do we make sure as teachers and as community members that we're just trying to pick up on those cues that the young folks are giving us about anxiety, depression, sadness, right. not to mention they haven't, you know, for a whole year, they may not have played any kind of organized sports. They may not have been in playing and engaging in each other ways on the, on the block or in the street or at the park. Yeah. It's, so there's it's a whole like, dynamic there. Yeah. It's like, we, we have, we've had quite a few teachers on our podcast and one of the common um, topics is the fact that it's like kids have forgotten how to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. um, I, all of the teacher friends that I have have said this is the hardest year of teaching mm -hmm. they have ever done. Mm -hmm. Back in person, they're back, you know, they're, they're the bulk of them are in person, and it's the hardest year mm -hmm. ever because, well, because, well, the mask, whether, you know, forcing the masks on the kids and all, you know, all of that is a hassle. 
But more than that, it's the emotions of the kids and the interactions of the students. They just, they forgot how to be kids with each other. When you also have the quarantining happening and one class might be here, but the other fifth grade class is all online for a week. You have, um, it, it's, it seems as though it's never ending. Yeah. Uh, the good and news think- is there's, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tony. Sorry. Uh, I was just thinking in, in the inconsistencies. Um, yeah. I have a friend and she has two kids. One goes to school in a different state. Everything is open. The stadiums are filled. And then the other student is mm-hmm. in a different state and there's no activity. Things are online. And so it's just the the, the differences and how mm-hmm. every school, every they're just handling it so but I think Tony could really talk on the inequities that have always been mm-hmm. apparent in education. This is just yet another, I mean, it's different because it's not another necessarily layer. financial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I don't know, be, be it political, environmental, whatever, but it's yet another discrepancy. Um, you Typically, when I was going through my teaching programs and whatnot, it was, we talked so much about the financial um, mm-hmm. discrepancies between inner city and um and not and it now we're we're talking more with the the political mm-hmm. environment i think more than anything and it's um always a challenge <laughs> yeah it's fascinating I, i've often said even pre-covid i mean basically i work with a lot of schools mostly schools serving title one students urban schools during the day um at pepperdine both my research projects and a lot of my students were placed in urban schools. And then my night job, I would joke, is kind of as a school board member in my local community that was highly resourced. I don't know when I'll get to it, but it'd be interesting to write a book someday about, um, you'd be shocked at where the similarities and differences are. And they're not in the places where we normally would imagine, meaning um, some of the typical narratives or master narratives about you know inequities around finances and uh, and or parent participation and or um, ed foundation. I mean, some of those are real mm-hmm. in the fact that certain resources exist in one place and not the other. But at other times, you'd be fascinated to kind of see where <laughs> there are similarities in kind of the ways in which things were were not done. Right. Now with COVID, it's one exacerbated some of them. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, there are um, ways in which there is a lot of funding right now going through K-12 schools across mm-hmm. the board. Not necessarily enough to make up for some areas, um, but how do we use that money? So now if money is not the issue, but it's now, okay, then what do you do with it? Um, there's there's some conversations right now that folks are trying to figure that out. I also think a, another pressure point right now are between Uh, unions and districts as well. So you have on one hand, um, an amazing set of teachers that uh, did everything they possibly could to help young people get through the pandemic. Um, At times you have a small percentage of folks within those uh, unions that maybe weren't doing as much and caused some anxiety and frustration amongst some of the families. That's, that's, you know, that happens. It always happens, but it's happened especially during COVID. And then you have um, a tension now where teachers deservedly uh, 
should be compensated fairly for the amount of work they've done. And you have districts that might have more money than they had before, but the money that they have is actually one-time money, not uh, long-term funding. So not ongoing. So you have this other pressure point where teachers are saying, not only do we deserve a raise, we deserve to be compensated what they should have been compensated before anyhow. Sure. And you have districts who do have funding who might want to compensate them more, but maybe that funding is not going to be there two or three years from now. So there's some, there's some things on the horizon that I'm seeing um, that could be really difficult situations a couple years from now. Not only the social, emotional, and the educational side, but just the financial of can we sustain. Um, some districts are giving raises mm-hmm. that are well-deserved, but maybe they can't afford long-term. Right. And others may not be giving raises that are well-deserved. Well, and that will create... tension. That will create quite an issue with the unions because you can't take away the money once you've you, once you've offered a raise. You can't come back and say, "Okay, we just we, we can't do that anymore." So take a take a step back, and that's going to end up, you know, really hurting the classrooms. And like it just, it, well, and this I'm, is all in the this is all in the context of morale, right? And right, yeah, yes. yeah. So it's it's something that. Um, I, the folks that I know, I, 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 superintendents never get much sympathy from anybody, but I feel, I feel yeah. for the ones that are trying to do the best they can because um, they we've often used the phrase, you know, building the plane while flying it. Mm-hmm. It's not that they haven't flown before, but boy, these are times that, um, and I really think Omicron is really kind of been the 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 straw that folks, I agree even folks that were just able to plow through and uh, feel as though they were doing a good job everyone is really uh, just exhausted I mean in our own house we've had uh, we have five folks two of them have uh, had COVID the other three have not um, so on one hand you know knock on wood for some reason two did and three didn't but yet Every cough, every sneeze, every sniffle is, do I have Omicron and am I going to now have to quarantine and am I going to be out and trying to plan through that? And we're fortunate and blessed that we could think about the folks who can't uh, give up their, you know, job or can't give up a paycheck or are a service worker or a service employee, like, or don't have the ability to, if the class gets quarantined this week to stay home from work. So it's just, and we have a whole, I mean, we haven't even talked about this. We literally have, I think the number I saw was in the millions of students that never returned back to school across the nation. Where are they? Where are (laughs) they? Where are they? And who's finding them and who's going to follow up with them? And that's just such another void that is Mm -hmm. just, it's a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Boy, but everybody's really uh, absolutely super enthused watching this. (laughs) I know. Sorry. This is like a very negative. Wow. (laughs) There's some silver linings. I know there are. I know there are. There's good people doing good things. and, And there are some ways in which, right? I mean, one of the things we'll talk about at AERA, a good friend of mine, Mary Johnson, she's a grassroots parent organizer. She's been doing surveys with uh, families both in California and across the nation, but the bulk of the responses have been from uh, Southern California. Mm -hmm. And that's been fascinating to see as well, right? I mean, schools feel as though parent participation has increased 
because families have had to learn the technology to help their children. Um, I think Mary and I would argue that in some ways it might have quantitatively increased more people going on to Zoom for the principals meeting. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, I think we would argue qualitatively it's decreased in the fact that parents and families, um, and I'm not talking about the most extreme kind of rail issues, I'm talking about day-to-day -day kind of schooling and curriculum and education, that parents have not been engaged in ways where they actually are having a voice. It's more like somebody sending a message to you and you receive it, or I go online and I'm told, here's what's happening, right. but not really authentic dialogue and collaboration um, about, you know, how do we improve? How do we get through this collectively as, as a school community? Yeah. So that's something I think is important that we need to be watching as well. In some ways, maybe we've regressed in terms of the ways in which we're engaging with families and parents. Interesting. Uh, it is. It's all very fascinating. And I think just as we live through it, through all of these nuances, how do we help our students stay positive and our parents stay positive and our new teachers help build them so that they're engaged enough? I mean, it's just, it's a full-time effort on everybody's part. And I just appreciate your time. Tony, this has been so insightful. I look forward to hearing about your research as you further um, collectively present at the end of, what is it, in May? Is that what you said? Uh, in April. April? Mm -hmm. yeah. If, sure to... we, could, if mm -hmm. we could watch it, if like there is a way that we could be virtual to, to see your presentation, I would absolutely love it. And I really want to read the book that you haven't written yet. Yeah. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> we'll have I, to get to that one. I, if yeah. I could leave with one, maybe with one, um, yeah. you know, a hopeful image. Please. That's kind of countered. I mean, think about all the ways in which schools and communities did come together mm -hmm. over the mm -hmm. past. I think, I mean, there's lots of ways in which we could always do a better job and we can learn from, but think about, all the teachers that did visit students' houses or did drive by in their cars honking right. and, and waving and doing, uh, creating incredible packets that went home. And I don't mean by paper packets, but manipulatives and sure. science. I mean, there's, there's some really amazing, powerful things that we saw communities come together mm -hmm. um, that too often either we don't see or we don't highlight. So I think- I agree. I think there are things to be hopeful about Mm -hmm. um, I guess my cautionary tale and my call to, to action with my own teachers and with others is that let's, let's really hold on to what we, what we learned mm -hmm. um, through this and let's figure out ways to continue to kind of decrease uh, the inequities and really make sure that, you know, we're allowing all students to have the kind of quality education they deserve. Yeah, I agree. I think I was going to close also with something positive. I think with everything that has gone on over the past two years, I really feel empathy has been greatly increased. Parents having to take over for teachers. I think that makes the parents go, wow, these teachers really do work hard and there's so much more to it. And then the teachers are so appreciative and empathetic to the parents having to deal with their job and their kids and the education. You know, so I just think, universally our world has become more empathetic i think we get a lot of media noise where they highlight the negatives mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just, that's why we like talking to real people in, in the trenches, people doing the real things to hear more about the positives and hear what's really happening in the world. And I, I agree. I think there's been, yes, there's a lot of negatives that came with COVID and the pandemic. Nobody wants that, but there've been so many silver linings. We just mm-hmm. have to keep looking for them and just keep pointing them out. And when we do get a chance to breathe, to really evaluate all the t- good takeaways that we've learned. Good. Well, thank you for having me. We thank really you so much, time, Tony. I look forward to returning. I'll have to revisit in six months or so with where things are at. Absolutely. I would love it. I was just thinking the same thing. I think that'll be fantastic. Perfect. That's Take fantastic. care. All right. Thank, thank you, Tony. You. Thank you so much for listening to Learning Reimagined. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help us spread the word by clicking the subscribe button or share your favorite episodes with families and friends and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts.